In this recording, we're going to discuss a very mysterious line in some of the commentators on the Haggadah, how they explain the Halach Ma'anya passage. And we'll see that there were a number of attempts historically to make sense of it. And then we'll go through some contemporary ideas. This is all from an article by Rabbi Yisrael Danderovitz from Israel in the Or Yisrael Torah Journal, volume 62, beginning on page 168. The opening passage of the Magid section of the Haggadah, where we tell the whole story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is Anya. And this is a very unusual passage for a number of reasons. It basically introduces the Seder, it introduces the concept of the Matzah as well as the Karban Pesach, and it invites anyone that wants to join our Seder to join. And then it hopes that next year we'll be able to do this more fully with the Beis HaMikdash in Israel. Now it seems a little bit late to be inviting guests to the Seder. They should have been invited days earlier. And certainly before Kiddush, it's already after Kiddush, after the Seder's already started, so it seems like a strange time to invite people. But in addition to all this, there's another problem with Halach Ma'anya, which is that most of the Haggadah, certainly the Magid section, is all in Hebrew, with the exception of Halach Ma'anya, which is written in Aramaic. So it seems very strange that this one section of the Haggadah should be in Aramaic when the rest of the book is generally written in Hebrew and the rest of the Magid section is all going to be in Hebrew. So there's a number of solutions to explain why there's this shift in language for Halach Ma'anya. One of the most popular solutions is that since we're inviting people to our Seder, so it's important to say it in the language that most people understand. And since this prayer was written in Bavel, where they spoke Aramaic, so they formulated it in Aramaic so that the invitation would be most effective, people would understand that the host is now inviting them to join their Seder. Even if they didn't speak Hebrew, they would still understand it because the host said it in Aramaic. And then they'd be able to join the Seder. As opposed to if it was in Hebrew, then some people might not understand what the host was saying and they wouldn't come join the Seder. So that's a very popular answer. Now that approach assumes that Halach Ma'anya is an actual invitation and that's not so clear. There's some commentators who think that it might be more symbolic than an actual invitation trying to get people to the Seder because again, it's already the middle of the Seder, so it's a little bit late to be inviting people. But if we assume that Halach Ma'anya is an actual invitation and that it was composed in Bavel for people who were having their Seder in Babylonia where they spoke Aramaic, so this approach would explain why they composed this prayer in Aramaic as opposed to in Hebrew. Now, there's a very strange line in the Shibole Haleket in his commentary on the Haggadah, and this is what we're going to focus on in this recording, he suggests another answer to the question of why Halach Ma'anya is written in Aramaic. He says, He says, in Jerusalem, they used to speak Aramaic at moments of great happiness. So he seems to be saying that even though in general they spoke Hebrew, but when they were part particularly happy at a real simcha, they would switch to speaking Aramaic. So that's why Halach Ma'anya is written in Aramaic because this is a moment of great happiness. The Seder is beginning. We're overjoyed that we're able to celebrate the freedom from Egypt. So at this moment of great happiness, we speak in Aramaic, 
which is like they used to do in Yerushalayim. And the same approach is recorded in the Sefer Tanya Rabasi, which is a book which is based on the Shibale Haleket. So even though this approach appears in the Shibale Haleket and the Tanya Rabasi, it's really all coming from the Shibale Haleket and the Tanya Rabasi just repeats what it says in the Shibale Haleket. So that is the approach that these commentators suggest, that the reason for Halach Ma'anya being in Aramaic is as a reflection of the fact that in Yerushalayim, Aramaic was the language of happiness. And when the Seder is beginning and we're inviting people to join us, that is a moment of happiness. So therefore we say it in Aramaic. Now, this idea that the Halach Ma'anya is a happy prayer is itself controversial. There's some commentators that argue that Halach Ma'anya is actually a sad prayer. It's a mournful prayer because we're mourning the fact that we no longer have the Beis HaMikdash and we can't actually do the Karban Pesach because the rule of the Karban Pesach was that people had to sign up to be part of a group before it was slaughtered. So in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, you couldn't invite anyone to the Seder last minute because once the Karban Pesach was already slaughtered, nobody could join the group. So the fact that we're able to invite people to our Seder last minute is actually something mournful because it means we don't have a Beis HaMikdash and we don't have the Karban Pesach. So for some commentators like the Masay Hashem and others, the Halach Ma'anya section is actually sad. We're mourning the fact that we don't have the full Seder as it was in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, and we hope and pray that next year we'll have that all back. But either way, we get on with the Seder doing whatever we can, even in the exile. So that's one way to interpret it. On the other hand, there are other commentators who do think that Halach Ma'anya is a happy prayer. So for example, the Ritva, as well as others, they believe that the happiness of Halach Ma'anya is that we were freed from Egypt. So we're celebrating our freedom. And when we were slaves in Egypt, we barely had enough food to sustain ourselves, so certainly we were not able to invite other people to join us. So the fact that we're able to extend an invitation to the Seder is a source of great joy because it indicates that we have plentiful food and well-being that we're able to share it with other people. So therefore, Halach Ma'anya is a moment of great success and triumph and joy. So the approach of the Shibale Haleket, that the reason Halach Ma'anya is in Aramaic is because it's a moment of happiness seems to follow along the lines of the Ritva, that Halach Ma'anya is a very joyous prayer, as opposed to the view of the Masay Hashem, that it's a mournful prayer. Now, what's very mysterious about this approach of the Shibale Haleket is that we don't find this idea in any other place that the people of Yerushalayim, even though they ordinarily spoke Hebrew, but at moments of great joy, they would switch into Aramaic. So this seems like a very unusual historical claim that in Yerushalayim, they used Aramaic to mark their very happy times. In addition, not only does it just seem unusual, but there actually seems to be a contradiction to this from the Yerushalmi in Megillah, Perak Aleph, Halacha Tess. The Yerushalmi quotes that Rabbi Yonasan de Beis Guvrin said, there are four languages that are particularly beautiful, particularly suited 
for different instances. So laaz lizamer, Greek is particularly good for singing. Romi lekrav, Roman is particularly good for krav, which could either come from the word karov, like to be close. So Roman is a very good language for building relationships and coming closer to people. Or it could come from the word krav, like war. So Roman is particularly good for war. Sorsi leilia, the third one is sorsi, which is understood to be Aramaic, and that's particularly good for mourning, for wailing, and ivri ledibor. Hebrew is particularly good for speaking. So according to the Yushalmi, the Aramaic language is specifically best used in moments of unhappiness and mourning. So that's the exact opposite of what the Shibale Haleket said. He said that Aramaic was used at moments of happiness, whereas according to the Yushalmi, Aramaic is best suited for mourning, for unhappiness. Now, if we go back to what we mentioned earlier, that there's a debate between the Ritva versus the Masay Hashem, as well as other commentators, as to whether Halach Ma'anya is a happy prayer or a sad prayer. So if we take the view of the Masay Hashem, that Halach Ma'anya is a mournful prayer because we no longer have the Besam Mikdash, so that would actually explain very nicely, according to the Yerushalmi, why it's in Aramaic. Because since Aramaic is the language of mourning, so halach ma'anya, which is the mournful part of the Seder, the rest of the Seder is more upbeat, but halach ma'anya is a moment of sadness, so that's exactly why it's in Aramaic as opposed to Hebrew. So this idea brings us to the first approach to try to explain the Shibale Haleket. Again, the question is that the Shibale Haleket said that Halach Ma'anya is in Aramaic because that's the language of happiness and Halach Ma'anya is a happy prayer. But the Yerushalmi explicitly says that Aramaic is a language of sadness. So Reb Ruven Margolios in his commentary on the Haggadah, Ber Miriam, so he actually suggests that the Shibale Haleket means the exact opposite of of what he says. And this is based on what we call Lishna Ma'alya. There are times that we find in sources that they say things which seem positive about the Jewish people, but in fact they mean the exact opposite. They just don't want to say something negative about the Jewish people. So in order to avoid negativity, sometimes a safer will say the exact opposite. So according to Reb Ruven Margolios, the Shibale Haleket means to say the exact opposite. That Halach Ma'an is a mournful prayer, and that's why it's said in Aramaic, which is the language of sadness. But the Shibale Haleket doesn't want to say something negative about the fact that we don't have the Besam Mikdash anymore. He doesn't want to talk about something so painful. So instead, he formulated it in the exact opposite way, that it's a happy prayer, and Aramaic is a happy language. So according to Reb Ruven Margolios' approach, that it's Lishna Ma'alya, the Shibale Haleket means the opposite of what he says, and he actually agrees with the Masay Hashem that Halach Ma'anya is a sad prayer instead. So this is a creative idea, but Rabbi Dandorovitz raises two issues with this approach. First of all, we don't generally find this idea of Lishna Ma'alya, of a Sefer saying the opposite of what it means in medieval poskim. That's usually an approach that we find in much earlier works, but the poskim usually speak very clearly, they don't speak in riddles, and they say exactly what they mean. So it's a little hard to apply this idea to the Shibale Haleket. Second, the Shibale Haleket many times does speak very openly and explicitly about things that have to do with the egg 
exile and the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So why should this be the one instance where he's hiding everything and he doesn't want to talk about it when in general he does talk openly even about painful subjects? So there's some questions on Reb Ruven Margolios's approach to explain the Shibale Haleke. Now there's a very interesting discussion about this between Rabbi Yaakov Raithman and Rabbi Azriel Hildesheimer. Rabbi Azriel Hildesheimer was the famous rabbi of Berlin. He was a contemporary of Rav Hirsch in Frankfurt. And the two of them together were basically the leaders of German Jewry at the time. Rav Hildesheimer was one of the major early figures in what later became called modern orthodoxy, a sort of orthodoxy that's a bit more open to the world. Rav Hildesheimer started the rabbinical school in Berlin, which was the major school that almost all the rabbis in that part of Europe came from until the Nazis destroyed the whole thing. And that school had a more open view of secular studies. Most of the graduates got PhDs at local universities. So Rav Hildesheimer was a major figure in articulating what later became a very important and widespread form of orthodoxy. Now, Yaakov Reifman was also similarly along those lines. Today, we would probably call him modern orthodox. But in his lifetime, he had trouble finding his place because on the one hand, he was an orthodox person. But on the other hand, he was more scholarly and he used a more scholarly way of interpreting texts. So basically, he had trouble figuring out exactly his place and he had a lot of difficulties as a result of that. He was an interesting person and wrote some interesting things. In the journal Hadarom, volume 18, there's an article all about him and it goes through a lot of the information, a lot of the stuff that he wrote. On page 52, in a footnote, he tells a very interesting story. Raithman had a son named Nassan, who was his pride and joy. He writes that because he had all this poverty, because God didn't give him wealth or any material goods, so he blessed him with this son, who was a very smart and learned person. So he was very, very proud of him. So he tells this story that Raithman's wife was apparently much firmer than him, certainly in perspective. And she was connected with Reb Label Eger, who was a grandson of Reb Kiva Eger, who had become a Hasidish Rebbe in Lublin. So Mrs. Raithman was worried about the effect that her husband would have on her son because her husband was more open to the world and he was more modern in his thinking. So she was wondering whether she should keep her son away from his father, from her husband, so that he he wouldn't be influenced by her husband. So she went to ask the Hasidic Rebbe in Lublin, Reb Leibola Eger, what to do. And Reb Leibola asked her, does your husband wash his hands in the morning? When he wakes up, does he do Negelwasser? So she said, yeah. So Reb Leibola said, if so, you have nothing to be concerned about. And he quotes that the Belzer Rebbe told her the same thing. So that's a very interesting story. On the other hand, and this is pretty sad, in the Hadarom Journal, volume 21, there's an addendum article to this from another person, and he reports that a Hasidic Rebbe who knew the daughter and son-in-law of Nassan Raithman, that they both told him that when Yaakov Raithman died, his son did not sit Shiva for him because his father had had a different style. He had been more open to the world and to secular things. So it's very sad to think that this man who was so proud of his only son and felt like that was the main gift he had been given in this world, that his son perhaps didn't sit Shiva for him because he was more open and modern. And even just these little anecdotes already give us a sense of how much difficulty Raithman had establishing himself and finding a balance between his openness and modernity, along with his commitment to traditional Judaism. But either way, he was a learned person and he wrote with the Maritz Chios. He also wrote back and forth with Rabbi Israel Hill. 
Haldesheimer. So in the Hadarom journal, he quotes some of the letters back and forth between Raithman and Rav Hildesheimer. And one of the issues that Raithman raises is this line in the Shibali Haleket that says that Halach Ma'anya is an Aramaic because it's the language of happiness. And Raithman asks, what about the Yerushalmi that explicitly says that Aramaic is a language of sadness? So he seems to have been the first person to pose this question. So Rav Hildesheimer responds, and this was also published in the Chuvis Rav Azriel Hildesheimer at the end. There's some commentary on the Haggadah. So it quotes his comment on this issue. And it's not totally clear what Rav Hildesheimer is saying, but he seems to be saying that the language of Aramaic was both a sad language as well as a happy language, which means to say that the people in Yerushalayim during the second Beis HaMikdash, when they had been redeemed, so the second Beis HaMikdash had been rebuilt, but on the other hand, it was nowhere near the glory of the first Beis HaMikdash. So they were in an unusual situation. On the one hand, they were not in exile. They had the Beis HaMikdash and they lived in Israel. On the other hand, things were not as good as they should have been. So they used the language of Aramaic at moments of happiness in order to show that their joy was not complete because Aramaic is inherently the language of sadness. So at the moment of their happiness, they would switch into Aramaic to show that they were in limbo. On the one hand, there was a lot of happiness. There was a lot to celebrate. There were a lot of good things. On the other hand, there was also sadness because they hadn't been fully redeemed. So that's how the language of Aramaic could be both the language of sadness as well as the language of happy times. So according to the Shibale Haleket, we use that language for Halach Ma'anya because it's a happy time, but it's not fully happy. So we still want to remember like the people of Yerushalayim that the Beis HaMikdash is not rebuilt and there is sadness. So that's his approach to the Shibale Haleket, meaning Aramaic is both the language of happiness as well as the language of sadness. Now, Raithman himself proposed a different solution to explain this line in the Shibale Haleket. And this was published after his death in a journal called Yerushalayim in volume 5. And interestingly, there's actually a collection of Raithman's thoughts on the Haggadah called the Geret Bikoret, published by Naftali ben Menachem. But in that commentary on the Haggadah, he missed this comment from Raithman. So what he suggested in his writings is that there needs to be a slight emendation to what the Shibali Haleket wrote. The Shibali Haleket says, Because in Yerushalayim, they used to speak Aramaic, the language of happiness. So Raithman suggested that if we add in one word, it changes the whole sentence. It should say Lashon Rabbeinu Simcha, not the language of happiness, but this is the language of Rabbeinu Simcha, meaning the Shibali Haleket is just quoting from Rabbeinu Simcha. So he means to say, why is Halach Ma'anya in Aramaic, not Hebrew? Because in Yerushalayim, they spoke Aramaic. That's what Rabbeinu Simcha said, nothing to do with the language of happiness. So this is a very sharp, clever suggestion that with this slight emendation of the text, it will change the whole meaning. So there's no longer any implication that they spoke Aramaic at happy times. The word Simcha in this sentence doesn't mean happiness. It's a name of Rabbeinu Simcha. He's the one that proposed this solution.
Now, Raithman himself raises a problem with this solution because the Shibale Haleket quotes two answers. The first is this one that now means that they spoke Aramaic in Yerushalayim. And then he quotes a second answer, which is the one we mentioned earlier, that since most people spoke Aramaic in Bavel, so therefore they composed it in Aramaic, so most people would understand it. Now, according to Raithman's reading, what's the difference between these two answers? They're now the same thing, that they composed Halach Ma'anya in Aramaic, which was the most widely spoken language. So why would the Shibali Haleket record two answers, which are effectively the same thing? So Raithman himself answers that the first answer of Rabbeinu Simcha is that they spoke Aramaic in Yerushalayim. Whereas the second answer doesn't mention anything about Yerushalayim, so it means that they spoke Aramaic throughout the whole land of Israel. Now, Rabbi Dandorovitz points out that this is a bad formulation of the difference between these two answers because the second answer is not saying that they spoke Aramaic throughout Israel. It's saying they spoke Aramaic in Babylonia and this passage of Halach Ma'anya was composed in Babylonia. So the second answer has nothing to do with Eretz Yisrael at all. So the real way to formulate this is that the first answer of Rabbeinu Simcha is saying that Aramaic was the spoken language in Yerushalayim. And the second answer is saying that Aramaic was the spoken language in Babel. So now they may be debating where Halach Ma'anya was composed. According to the first answer, he assumes that it was composed in Israel. So that's why he has to explain that even the people in Yerushalayim mostly spoke Aramaic. And the second answer assumes that Halachmania was written in Bavel. So that's why he focuses on Aramaic being the spoken language in Bavel. So according to Raithman's emendation, according to this approach, that the first answer is just quoting Rabbeinu Simcha, that would be the way to formulate the difference. The first answer believes that Halachmania Mania came from Israel, and you'd have to say that they spoke Aramaic in Israel, even though we ordinarily think they spoke Hebrew, but maybe during the time of the second Beis Hamikdash, they were speaking Aramaic even in Yerushalayim. The second answer assumes that it was written in Bavel, where they spoke Aramaic. So this is Raithman's approach to change the word Simcha to the name Rabbeinu Simcha. And accordingly, it never says in the Shibali Haleket that they spoke Aramaic at happy times. It's just quoting what Rabbeinu Simcha said. Now, Rabbi Dandorovitz points out that there's two problems with this. First of all, he focuses on the line in the Shibali Haleket where it just says Lashon Simcha the language of Simcha. So he adds in one word of Rabbeinu Simcha. But in the Tanya Rabasi, which as we said, copies from the Shibale Haleket, he adds in another letter, which is going to make this emendation more difficult. He ends Billashon Simcha in the language of happiness. So in order to amend the text of the Tanya Rabasi, you would need not only to add another word, you'd also have to omit a letter. So that makes this whole emendation a little more difficult. In addition, he points out, we don't find in the Shibali Haleket that he uses this phrase, Lashon Rabbeinu Simcha. He does quote Rabbeinu Simcha, but not using that phrase. So it seems a little odd to say that in this one instance, he used the phrase Lashon Rabbeinu Simcha. So those are some of the historical attempts to try to make sense of this strange claim in the Shibali Haleket that in Yerushalayim they used Aramaic for happy times. And now Rabbi Dandorovitz presents two of his own solutions to this problem. First, he focuses on the line in the Yerushalmi 
that says that Aramaic is the language of sadness. And he suggests that maybe not only is Aramaic the language of sadness, but it's also the language of happiness. Because there's certain forms of language that it's easier to express emotions in. So let's say, for example, a poem, it's easier to express sadness through that form as well as happiness, like Grammin. So just because something is the language of sadness doesn't mean that it's not appropriate for happy things. The opposite. It may be that something which is better for sadness is also better for happiness. So the same may be true of Aramaic, that it's easier to express things in a poetic style. So it's better for sadness as well as happiness. So in that case, there wouldn't be a contradiction between the Yerushalmi and the Shibali Haleket, but they're saying the same thing, that there's a quality to Aramaic that it's easier to express emotion in. Now, there's two further points to make about this Yerushalmi before we go on to the next approach. The first is that the version in the Yerushalmi is Sursi L'Ilya, that Aramaic is the best language for sadness. But the version in the Medrash, in Esther Rabbah and Medrash Tehillim, is Parsi L'Alya, that Persian, not Aramaic, Persian is the best language for sadness. So there's a discrepancy between these sources, whether the language of sadness is Aramaic or Persian. So some commentators think that the Medrash should be amended in light of the Yerushalmi, and it should also say Aramaic. Others think that the Yerushalmi should be amended in light of the Medrash, and it should say Persian. So maybe this line in the Shibali Haleket is a proof that the Yerushalmi should say Persian is the language of sadness, whereas Aramaic is the language of happiness. So then obviously there would be no contradiction between the Shibali Aleket and the Yerushalmi. The second point is that Rabbi Dandorovitz found another source that agrees with the Shibali Aleket, and this is a very far-flung source. Rabbi Yechiat Salach, the Maritz, who was one of the great Yemenite rabbis. So in his commentary on the Yom Kippur davening, one of the quotes of the Kohen Gadol is in Aramaic. So the Maritz asks, why is this line alone in Aramaic when the rest is in Hebrew? So he says something very similar to the Shibali Haleket because everybody understood it and it would make them happy in order to accept this bracha, which is one of the most important brachas. So he says a very similar idea that Aramaic is a language of happiness. Now the Maritz's grandson who wrote footnotes on his grandfather's writing. So he questions this. He says, who ever heard of the people of Yerushalayim speaking Aramaic? But as we've been saying throughout the Shibale HaLeket in his commentary on the Haggadah does say that, that the people of Yerushalayim spoke Aramaic at happy times. So it's interesting to note that this major Yemenite rabbi seems to have had the same idea or the same tradition as the Shibale HaLeket about this. Now, the final approach Rabbi Dandorovitz suggests is a totally different approach, and this is based on a new commentary on the Haggadah which was published called the Tosfos Rid from Rabbi Shaya Hazakein of Trani. Now, it's not clear if this is actually from the Tosfos Rid, this commentary, or it's from some other Rabbeinu Yishaya, but either way, there's a new commentary on the Haggadah, whoever wrote it, and in that commentary, he records an approach which has the same words of the Shibale Haleket, but a totally different meaning. So if we read the Shibale Haleket in line with this approach, it totally changes the entire 
entire thing. The Tosfos Rid also focuses on why Halach Ma'anya is in Aramaic. And he writes, Be Yerushalmi, in the Yerushalmi. So having nothing to do with the people of Yerushalayim, he's quoting the Yerushalmi Gemara, Shemisaprin Aramis, because the people used to speak Aramaic. So that's why Halach Ma'anya is in Aramaic, so everyone will be happy because they're able to understand it. So basically, the Tosos Rid uses similar language to the Shibali Haleket, but the meaning of this is totally different. He's not referring at all to the people of Yerushalayim. He's quoting the Yerushalmi. Now, it's unclear exactly what he's quoting because we don't have a lot of discussion of the Haggadah in the Gemaras. So it seems unusual that the Talmud Yerushalmi would have commented on some issue within the Haggadah, but either way, the Tosos Rid is quoting some sort of source that he's calling the Yerushalmi, which notes that Halach Ma'anya is in Aramaic. Then the Tosos Rid explains, and it's not clear if this is him or still the Yerushalmi that he's quoting, but he explains that it's because everybody speaks Aramaic. So the reason for Halach Ma'anya being in Aramaic is so that people should understand that, and he calls that happiness. But he doesn't mean that it's happy because Aramaic is a happy language. He means that people are happy when they understand what someone says. So if someone only speaks English, they're happier when they hear English as opposed to hearing Chinese, which they don't understand. So that's all the Tosos Rit is saying, that the Yerushalmi says that we say Halach Ma'anya in Aramaic, and the reason is because people will be happy when they understand the meaning of the passage because they speak Halach Ma'anya. So even though this has the same words as the Shibali Haleket, it's a totally different meaning. It's not saying at all that Aramaic is a happy language in Yerushalayim, it's saying the same thing as the standard answer that they composed Halach Ma'anya in Aramaic because that's the most widely understood language. So Rabbi Dandorovitz's suggestion to make sense of this strange line in the Shibale Haleket is that there was some sort of corruption. The original idea was like the Tosos Rid records it, that everybody spoke Aramaic and somehow that got corrupted later on in the Shibale Haleket and the Tanya Rabasi to say that the people of Yerushalayim spoke Aramaic at times of happiness. Now, with this approach, we're still left with the question, which is what then is the difference between the two answers? The second answer of the Shibale Haleket is that they wrote Halach Ma'anya in Aramaic because it's widely understood. Now, that's also the first answer because it's widely understood. So what's the difference? So Rabbi Dandorovitz suggests that there is a very subtle distinction between these two approaches. The second approach is that people in general don't speak any other languages, including Hebrew, other than Aramaic. So if it was in Hebrew, they really wouldn't be able to understand and they wouldn't realize that they're being invited. So that's why it had to be in Aramaic in order for people to understand. The first approach is a little different. He assumes that people do understand both Hebrew and Aramaic, but they understand Aramaic better than they understand Hebrew. So let's say someone spoke English and they understood Chinese a little bit, but they would still rather hear spoken English because it's easier for them to understand. Understand. So according to the first approach, that's the situation. The people speak Hebrew and Aramaic, but they speak Aramaic better. So they would rather hear spoken Aramaic. That makes them happier rather than having to make sense of the Hebrew. So that's why they composed Halach Ma'anya in Aramaic, even though people could have made sense of it in Hebrew, but it would give them more joy. They'd be happier to hear it in spoken Aramaic. 
So that's a wide spectrum of approaches to try to explain this strange line in the Shibale Haleket that Halach Ma'anya is in Aramaic because it's the language of happiness.